We're getting back to our series, and um, what I've been talking about is is some of the things that have um, come up in in our preparation as elders and, and myself um, in in preparing a statement of faith for the church. And this is something we've been working on for about a year and a half now. And um, you know, we've we've all kind of gone through these different um, aspects of our faith and, and studied them. And, and so this. Um, this series, as, as we were doing before, comes out of a bit of that study. Um, I want to look today at, at Psalm 19. And um, we hear this one often. I think we heard it a little bit today as well. Um, and I want to talk about creation. This isn't where the, the statement of faith will, will start. At, but, but I want to talk about how this is the foundation for our faith. Understanding creation and, and how it's foundational to understanding our faith. Um, before we do that, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Because in it we hear of your awesome love for us, your amazing love, your grace for us. And it's revealed from your creation to your gift of eternity. What an awesome love. Father, your word reveals all of this to us. And so we thank you for it. Remind us to be in it. Remind us to, to have the same attitude of David, to see it as, as more precious than silver, sweeter than honey. And Father, let the words that I speak be tested by your word, moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could get the second slide up, actually. No, I take that back, the first slide. Um, I'm not going to read you the whole text here, but um, is that me? Okay, there we go. I'm just going to read to you the first five verses, and then we'll go through the whole psalm. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. You see, David sees this. David's watching creation, and we remember David had been a shepherd, so he had spent a lot of time out in the, out in the fields, both in, in, in daytime and nighttime, and, and seeing God's creation. In fact, we read of David that, that he would sit there and, and, and sing songs of, of praise and, and, and play the harp while out, out in the wilderness, while tending the flocks. So he's saying, look, when we look at creation, when we see God's handiwork, and we understand it as such, we begin to understand God. We tend to make theology, and by the way, theology is just studying God. That's not a scary word as, as sometimes we make it. But we tend to make it this dry, academic, emotionless, emotionless thing. But when we really understand God and his grace for us, we see that that is full of emotion. 
both conviction and, and sadness and hurt over our sin, but also joy in knowing that He's given us the free gift of eternal life. And I love how in what David says here, he doesn't just talk about God's law. He doesn't just talk about the written word. He doesn't just talk about his truth. I mean, that's often the, the limitations of our theology. But he begins by talking about God's creation. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Like when you get into introduced to somebody, right? What's the first thing you learn about them? The first thing you learn about them, besides their name, is what do you do? What's your career? I mean, just think about all the people in the, in the media that, that you have opinions about and you think you kind of know a bit about them. You judge them based on their work, what they have done, what, they, what has put them in the spotlight, what they do. And this is natural because you, you can't know them personally. Now compare that, uh, now that's not a, a complete way of knowing somebody. Just as, as it's not a complete way of knowing God, but it's often the first way we know somebody. So creation tells us about how God works and all the attributes of God that we can think of. His, his sovereignty, that means his, his control and, and his power, his love, his grace, his justice. I might turn this off and use the use um, his love and his his provision. All of that can actually be seen in God's creation. So we look at this day to day. He pours out speech from, and night to night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are words whose voice is not heard. God's voice is the first thing we see. And interesting enough, if we look at Genesis one one, the first thing we see: God spoke. Let there be light. Um, He spoke the universe into existence in Genesis 1. God's voice is more than just a sound. So God's word, it's, it's amazing in Scripture. It, it it's, appears throughout Scripture. It's Christ, according to John 1.1. 1, 1. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's what sets all things in motion. And it says here, by his words, he has set a tent for the sun he has set the sun on its course with, with joy. Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. There's a, a quote from, from a preacher, and I, I couldn't find a, remember who this was. But um, essentially they said, You know what? I, I believe in the Big Bang, which is a controversial thing for a Christian preacher to say. I believe in the Big Bang. And he said, You know what? Because God's word is so powerful that when he spoke... There must have been a big bang. Of course, he spoke light into existence. He spoke the universe into existence. And when he did, he set in motion all of the, 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 the physical and, and, um, I can't think of the word for it, scientific laws that exist in the universe. So his word is powerful. You see, cause in our, our, our universe, when light is created, there are, are so much of the, the laws of physics, that's the word I was looking for before, that, um, that light and, and guide all of the effects of light, like everything that is needed for creation, God spoke 
and it came to be. You know, oftentimes I will hear people talking about how they, they just can't hear God. They can't hear God. And, and my, my first comment is, well, here it is. Read the Bible. He's, he's there. This is the word of God. But remember, this same word spoke the universe into existence. His voice is, is, is pretty loud. And it's made manifest here. That we can all hear it. We can all have access to his word. You see, because God speaking created light, which created the universe. But there's more to this. As I said to you, John chapter 1, I'll just read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see this, the Word was with God from the very beginning. This, this Word that, that, that God spoke and all things were created. And it is Christ. So we know that, that Jesus from the beginning was with God. And through Him all things were created. And He was the light of the world. Meaning before creation, before He spoke that light, God's plan for salvation had been set in place. And so when he spoke that light, he, he, he was also speaking in, in light of grace, in light of the eternal promises he was going to give us, in light of the restoration he knew we would need. Jesus, he's the fulfillment of that, that word, the embodiment of that word and the light of life. So we know Jesus was from the beginning and he was with God. I'm going to read to you from verse five. It says, uh, I'll start at four. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So now we go from from the word to, to light and now to the law. And it's not just the law of Moses. And it's not just the natural law. It's all of that. God's law is, is, is what sets the sun in motion. But it's also what convicts us of sin to say that we need this God who can set the sun in motion because we can't do this on our own. It's what convicts us of sin that says I need a savior because I can't save myself. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The, the, the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We have this attitude sometimes when we're reading the Bible. We like to skip that law part, you know, because because that's just for for those people way back then, right? But but Jesus actually says, you know what? Not one iota of the law will be done away with. It, it still applies to us, and and that's a really hard thing 
to, to wrap your head around because some of the law seems seems ridiculous. Some of the law seems so outdated that, that how can you say it applies to us? Paul says, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what sin was. The law convicts us of, of sin, and, and boy, does David actually know that. Like, if you read the life of David, you know that he knew conviction. You know that the law convicted him several times over. One of, um, one of my favorite stories about David, he's being chased by Saul. And, and him and his men are, are hidden in a cave, and, and Saul comes up to, to do his business at the front of the cave, and, and he's standing with his back to the cave, and David has a chance. I mean, he could end this. He could end this whole chase that, that Saul is doing. He could, he could be king. All it was gonna take is, is for him to end Saul's life right then and there. He knew he couldn't do that. So instead, he, he went up and, and cut a bit of Saul's robe. But even that convicted David, because Saul was, was chosen, had been chosen by God. And David was convicted by the law, and he, and he went out to Saul, and, and he poured his heart out to him, and he apologized. And, and for a time, Saul was, was kind to David, but only a short time. But, but the law had convicted David, and we see that over and over again. And he, and he loved the law so much that, that when, when, um, when his, his, his son had been born, his son to Bathsheba, and, and then his son was taken from him, was killed. So, uh, David knew that he had broken the law. And he rejoiced. I mean, how hard would that be? He rejoiced. He worshipped God in that. Because he saw that the law of God is perfect. See, all of these things David is, is seeing as sufficient as necessary, as, as God's word. And he says, you know, does anything need to, be, need to be added to this word? No, because the testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord is pure. And, and what do they do to us? They make us, make us simple people wise. They revive the soul. They rejoice our heart. Or make our heart rejoice. They enlighten our eyes. And we don't have to think that, you know, one day this is all going to end. The, the word of God is, is not going to be um, needed anymore. Think that, that, that we get to a point like what we've seen in, in articles recently after the census that, that God is dead. No. David, David says they endure forever. He endures forever. And they are righteous altogether. Verse 10, they are more desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey, and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So he's, he's taking joy in this. But he says, you know what, even better than that, this is a warning to us. Now, we don't often like warnings. I know people that don't like uh, speed warnings or, or things like that. We, we often try to avoid being warned about something. But he's saying, no, this is an awesome thing. That God has given us 
this warning, this, this conviction. And in keeping it, there is great reward. And he goes on to say, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Here David, he ends with a prayer. He says, you're the, you're the God who can, who can set the course for the sun, right? So you're the only God who can save me. Because I can't do it myself. So why is it important to understand creation? I've heard a lot of Christians, I'll talk to them and, and, and I'll, I'll get into a conversation with them about apologetics, which is, which is part of, part of this. And, um, and talking about why creation matters, why it's important to talk about Genesis 1 and, and how God created and, and, and to see the evidence for that. And, uh, and I've heard a lot of Christians say, you know what? I know Jesus. I, I, I know that I'm saved. So I'm just going to focus on Jesus. I'm not sure about how creation works or, or, or any of that stuff. It doesn't seem that important to me. Uh, I don't want to focus on that stuff. Just give me the practical stuff about how to live with Jesus, and, and I'll just simply worship. I don't need to know all that, that, that Genesis stuff. But this is where it starts. Without understanding how God created, this is why David, uh, David speaks like this. Let me give you a few things that we miss without understanding how God created. We miss the power of God's word. We talked about that from Genesis 1. And in, in, in that, then we miss God's sovereignty over all creation, that he is actually in charge. And he has a plan. We miss that God created in the beginning, and what he created was good. Because after every time that, that, that God created in, in Scripture, it says God stood back and he said, it is good. So we forget, or we don't know that. And that's a, a really important thing to know to understand his salvation and his grace. We miss that God created man and woman in his image. We miss that our Father was in communion, or the Father was in communion with the Holy Spirit and the Son, and, and especially when when we don't understand creation, we can't really understand John 1.1. 1, 1. We miss that the one thing that God was said was not good was that man should be alone. We miss that even though things were, were good, everything went bad because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And one more, a really subtle one that, that people, people often miss. We miss that, that when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden because of their sin, God actually sacrificed a perfect bit of creation, a, a, a perfect animal to cover up Adam and Eve's sin, to cover their nakedness. We miss that. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus. We miss so much, and I'll narrow that down. We miss God's power. We miss his identity. We miss God's goodness. We miss God's grace. The foundation for all of these is found in creation. See, David would, would sit with God's word, and he loved God's word, and he considered it sweeter than honey. He loved God's grace. Look at Psalm 32. He said, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. He loved God's love, and he pondered 
on God's love and praised God for it. But, but then look at Psalm 36. He says, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountain. Your justice like the great deep. You, O Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love. And he looked around in creation. He says, God, I can see your love in this. I know that you are a loving and good and gracious and mighty God. I see it in the skies, in the mountains, in the deep. He understood God. He understood the study of God, theology. He didn't just study God's grace. He didn't just study God's law. But he studied God. He wanted to know God more and grow in Him. It is so very much reflected in the Psalms. And God called him a man after God's own heart. And yes, David was after God's heart. He wanted to know the heart of God. And the cool thing is that David sat in God's creation with his word and with worship and praise. But we have this tendency to, to look for God in the scriptures and, and, and not fully see the result. To not take a step back and, and say, can I see this in my life? Can I see this in what he has created? David's a great example for this. One of the greatest bits of advice, and I'll end it here, that I've ever gotten. Um, and this sounds might sound really crazy to some people. And it might sound very airy-fairy, but, but it's helped me a lot in reading the Bible. I'm, I'm not a very good reader. Um, but to read the Bible in, in context, and, and to read the Bible in context, to, to take the whole thing in context, God's creation is context. The people around us, that's context. The witness that they have, the, the story of, of their salvation, the, 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 the people who don't know Christ, that's context. And, and, um, and so this, this Bible professor of, of mine, he says, you know what? Take the Bible into context. Take it out from the seclusion of your room. And, and he says, go to the park. Go to a crowded place. Go to a secluded place. Go to all those places. Sometimes read out loud. Sometimes read to yourself. But as you do so, and when you finish reading the word, take a look at the results of what you've just read, of, of what God has done. I used to go to the laundry mat to, to read and, and to study for my, my sermons. That was when I was a poor student. It made for some really interesting conversations, let me tell you. In fact, I was, I was amazed at how many people would see me reading the Bible and, and just come up and start asking me questions. And I, w- I would take it when I went trout fishing out in the middle of nowhere. Just to be in God's word and then to be able to look around and see the mighty creation that he's, he's made for his glory. So I want to encourage you Take a look at Genesis. No creation. And see the foundations of, of our salvation and of his grace and love for us. Let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are mighty. You are sovereign over all the earth. 
And your creation testifies to this. I was to go out to see the work of your hands, which are all around us, and to give praise for them as David does. To let them add to to our, our understanding of you. To let them confirm our understanding of you. That you are a God who who took us from death. And while we were still sinners, you gave us life, not because of anything that we have done, but by your grace. Father, let us see that in, in, in your works. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.